0: Back up, please. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Tekka Masala, India's piety technology web show. And today I have with me the humble Andrea Skluth from The Economist to talk about the crazy 15 billion valuation of Facebook and its possible revenue model. And, of course, also the bigger question of whether or not are we staring at another software bubble. So, here's the conversation that I had with Andreas Flute. That 23-year-old lad, Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, he's making more news this week than possibly the two founders of Google. It's 15 billion valuation. My first reaction was, it's crazy. It's three times the size of the New York Times market cap. Uh, what was your first reaction? You're closest to all the action. You're in the Silicon Valley.
1: The valuations are crazy, and and I thought it was a bit silly. I got some interesting reader letters when I made fun of Facebook. Not that. That's too harsh. I didn't make fun of it. I just put it in perspective. But one reader said something very interesting to me. From Microsoft's point of view, because they only bought 1.6% of the company, so a tiny stake, so $260 which is pocket change for Microsoft. (laughs) So really, he said, you should think of this as a call option. A call option is, instead of buying a stock, for instance, you pay a tiny bit to buy the right to buy the stock if it goes up in the future. And so really this reader was saying, oh, you shouldn't look at this as, you know, from Microsoft's point of view, this is quite, quite intelligent. And they basically just bought themselves a strategic alliance. Having said that, it, it's crazy because um, $15 billion you know, for Facebook, they have no, as they say, revenue model at all. By the way, before we go there, I just wanted to know because, you know, I'm I'm out of the picture in India. Is Facebook even a household name in India? It is
0: slowly becoming a household name with people moving on from Orkut to Facebook. And one of the reasons is not because Orkut is not good enough, but because the offices are banning Orkut because of loss of productivity. So people are moving on to Facebook. It's not yet as big as it is in some other countries,
1: but it's getting there. Well, you know, it doesn't mean that it will get big. You know, a lot is going on at ORCID at the moment. That's just going to change. I sort of guessed that it would be Orchid in India. Orchid is becoming a bit of an emerging market social network which is very interesting to me that you know it's huge in brazil it's big in the philippines and i i you know you tell me it's big in india so i think this facebook thing is sort of all the american media are going crazy about it because it's big in america and australia and you know the uk and stuff so it's a kind of a rich world thing and i i'm increasingly skeptical about it i'm, I'm on it but they have very tiny revenues, mm-hmm. $150 million this year, and the majority of that, so more than half of that, comes probably from Microsoft because they have a contract where Microsoft must give them that much in revenue for the right to be their broker of advertisements. And so it's a contractual revenue this year which is which means it's it's really fake revenue. So they really make no significant revenue at all at the moment. Hmm. Now that's part A. But then in the future tense of the verb, how will they make revenue? And from what what we know is the idea is that just as Google discovered monetization method putting search-related advertisements next to search results is a great revenue model. Just as Google discovered that a few years ago, Facebook's now trying to figure out, well, we've got all these profiles and there's the social graphs, in other words, the connections between people on Facebook. What can we do with that? Okay. And I think they're going to try to come up with a rival advertising system to this entire search-related category, and it might be called social ads. And the idea would be that... On your profiles, you volunteer a lot of information. So you voluntarily say what your hobbies are, what your age is, whether you're single or married, and you know what school you went to. And also you say who your friends are and where you are. And so that somehow we could use all that information we volunteer, hopefully in such a way that it doesn't make us feel our privacy has been intruded on, to give us very targeted advertising. I have to say, I'm very skeptical so far that I don't think it's the same thing as a search related advertising. What baffled
0: me was that who values a Facebook at 15 billion? Because, as you rightly mentioned, they have got their revenues at 150 million. So, in other words, that's 100 times their revenues. And if you compare that with Google, its IPO had gone in 2004, they are being valued at 53 times their revenues. So how do you put that in perspective? It's coming down to around $200 a user because they have 50 million users.
1: Yeah, in fact, that's when you know you're in a bubble, when people start changing the metrics. So instead of revenue or profit multiples, they say eyeballs. Mm -hmm. That was the last time in the dot (laughs) com bubble or now per user. You know, I mean, you could do paperclip multiples price per the number of paper clips in your office. You could do, you know, how many, how, you know, the, the, the chair multiple, I mean, you, can, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can could come I, up with very silly multiples and I get very cautious and worried when people do that. And that's why you then think of why would Microsoft value Facebook at this crazy sum? Then it becomes a different logic, not really about multiples, but about game theory. You know, there's only three really, but only three or four or five big internet companies Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo, and then sometimes you include eBay or Amazon or AOL or something in that, or News Corp, right? But But really, there's a small group of, of big companies that need to buy this year's next big thing as a feature so that their rivals don't get it. So that was the case last year when Google got YouTube which right. also doesn't make revenue. But the thing is, it still made sense because Google's trying to buy this this comprehensive and large, you know, attempting to call it an empire,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: because they already have an advertising solution and they're always finding new ones. And this year, Facebook is the big thing because MySpace is already owned by News Corp. Right. So Yahoo tried to buy Facebook and then failed, and then Microsoft tried, and then Google came in and maybe others even. Mm-hmm. So the valuation you're you're seeing which really came out of this game theory, which is what is it worth to me from the point of view of Microsoft, but what is it worth to keep away from Google? Uh,
0: okay. But we recently saw eBay had taken a $900 million impairment right down because they had overpaid for Skype. Now, is that a trend that we will see?
1: Specifically in the Microsoft Facebook case, no, because remember eBay bought Skype, so just in terms of accounting, that's not valued in the uh, same way. Okay, the right. don't, don't put it on the balance sheet. So, but that's a very technical and geeky. That's not what mm-hmm. you were asking. I just want to, you know, make sure that that's clear. For eBay, it was disastrous, and you know, Meg Whitman really screwed up. I mean, she made a huge mistake, and in fact, eBay is a problematic company now. But you're absolutely right. In the bigger sense, you know, you could ask it about the YouTube thing. Right. Well, we will not know for a while whether that was stupid or smart. Google paid YouTube in shares, not in cash. So that was interesting because Google shares are valued very highly. So you know, Mm -hmm. Google paid for YouTube with a very small percentage of itself. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone like Yahoo had bought YouTube, it would have paid with a very large percentage of itself. So if you see what I mean, if overvalued shares pay for an overvalued company, it, it it may not be. A bad acquisition. It's just very hard. In the Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. this year, there is another bubble. People have gone completely crazy. <laughs> I can tell you from the conferences that I go to and the dinners I have, people have lost perspective. I know very intelligent people who say that Facebook is the most important thing that happened since the graphical user interface. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've lost perspective, and the real answer is nobody has any idea what any of these things are worth, and therefore you're going to see a lot of really silly mistakes.
0: Uh, so they're living in an illusion, and they've started believing it now already, have they? For example, like you mentioned, if, if they think Facebook is the next big thing, and a drawing from your previous cover story on Google, you had mentioned that Google literally changed the way search was operated with their previous competitors and therefore therefore, today when it comes to searching on the web, there is hardly a substitute to Google but in case of Facebook, what is the value that it is providing to people because there are many substitutes and uh, it could be a stupid computer trick to make a social networking site so yesterday it was MySpace, today it is Facebook, tomorrow it could be something else.
1: Yes, I agree with you. I I agree with you. Now you brought up the comparison with Google. Mm -hmm. When Google went public we also weren't sure whether it was something that was easy for others to recreate. Uh, we thought it was there were no barriers to entry is the economic term. Right. And it turned out there are barriers to entry. Now, so I'm being more careful this time. But the thing is, what Facebook would say is that it is the first to use or to understand this thing called the social graph. And what I'm saying is I'm skeptical because understanding and using the social graph is not the same thing as Google understanding page rank, how pages link to other pages and how you can use that to, to for, for better search indices. It's mm-hmm. not the same thing. A social network is not that it doesn't provide the same sort of value as good search. Social graph is what everyone's talking about, and it's a very old word. It's been around for decades. It's a common term in, in computer science. But this guy, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, this year started talking about it because he came up with some genuinely clever ways of using the friend lists inside of Facebook. So all the users have friends and the friends have friends. And it's a bit like having an electronic address book and whoever's in your address book has other people in their address book. Mm -hmm. So you can reconstruct who knows whom in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's very valuable social information. And that's the social graph. It's simply the sum of all the address books in the world, all the friend lists in the world. Mm -hmm. It's not more complicated than that. Now, in theory, you can do very useful things with that. The value of the network is the exclusivity. So if the network becomes too large or too undiscriminating, I will leave and I will go to another service and I will find my intimate social graph there. Now, in return to that, Facebook would say, well, we we give people that. We, We don't give you the entire social graph of the world. We give you strict privacy controls and stuff so that only your friends can see you. And I would say, well, yes, you do, but there's many other social networks coming out right now, such as Ning, such as the new Google, what they announced today, that will make that much better. Also, if you, Facebook, I'm now responding to Facebook, if you say that, okay, you're going to keep it to these small social communities, their Harvard network and their IIT network, okay. and then on their sort of soccer player network, and, okay, you have these things, but those are tiny micro-communities, and you're not going to be able to monetize those because to monetize those, you're going to need a large audience. You can go one way or the other, but if, you, if you're going to go the way where you monetize them, then you're going to become one huge social graph, and people are going to leave. If you're going to make it very private and intimate, then, first of all, there's going to be lots of others doing the same thing, and also you're not going to monetize them. They may prove me wrong in time. Mark Zuckerberg's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 23, but he's, he's a smart guy. He, he does think about it all, but... It does
0: make him look good when he spurned an offer of $1 billion from Yahoo, and now the valuation is $15 billion. So When people told him that he was a stupid man to have refused that offer, now he must be smiling.
1: Yeah, you know, the psychology of Mark Zuckerberg, I've met him, and he, he's a very interesting guy. Uh-huh. He's 23. How old are you, Abhishek? I'm 24. You're 24. Well, you know, you're you're a thoughtful guy, but it's still amazing when you're 23, he's Uh negotiating with Steve Ballmer last year with Terry Semel, who was then the boss of Yahoo, with these old guys, you know. (laughs) I think he's a little bit in over his head. He has vertigo. He must be dizzy. Hmm. It it happens so suddenly, and I think he, he wants to give this a try. You know, he wants to see how far can this go. I don't need any money right now because I'm 23, you know. He always wears the same slippers and jeans and (laughs) sleeve jacket. And I would like to change the world. And Mm -hmm. I think he'd like to do that. And so he's trying to find the revenue model now and all this. But I think, I'm sure, even though he's smart, he himself, just there's no way he can know where this will go.
0: Since you've met him, what seems to be on his mind that nobody else can possibly gauge today? I mean, does he want to make it a social operating system like he had said a while ago? Where does he want to take this? Because if it is only about eyeballs, then he already has 50 million users. How long does he want to stretch this before he decides to sell it off or two years later, maybe an IPO or something that might be on his mind? Yeah,
1: the social operating system, I haven't heard that lately, Uh but the thing that he uses is the platform and then the other thing he talks about is the social graphs. And you know, they sort of trained him, his PR people have trained him, Mm -hmm. to stay on message. So when you talk to him, You can talk to him for like an hour, and he keeps saying that over and over. (laughs) And so after a while, you start wondering, okay, is this such a profound idea that I, the interviewer, have not grasped it? Or is it just, no, that's the only thing he has to say at the moment? And so he says that over and over, and he doesn't want to give anything else away. He has a sort of um, poker face. Mm-hmm. He hardly moves his face. Very short answers. I, I think he has a sense of humor, but not in interviews. He just keeps it very logical, very computer science. Yes, no. Binary answers. Very binary answers. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to interview him. He has interests. Like, he likes Greek myths and classics. He could talk about other things, but he chooses to always talk about the social graph. So it's very hard to get out of him what's in his mind. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention, is um I for instance, just think about what you what, what Google product you use or what Yahoo you product you use. You have an address book, a calendar, you probably have photos, you, you may have some blogs. Well, you can do something with that by putting features into that, which Google is doing right now, that will allow you to see, for instance, the mini feed, the friend feed, you know, what your friends, the people in your address books are doing, what they're up to. You will see that on your iGoogle homepage. If, if someone updates a photo in Picasso, and we could do the same for Yahoo eventually in a few years, you know, if someone puts photos on Flickr, well, you will be notified that if that person is in your address book, say, or if someone who's in your address book schedules an event, like a soccer game, you know, that may just automatically show up in your Yahoo or your Google calendar, and so right. forth. So what I'm saying is, social networking will be everywhere because it's big, it's important, but it's a feature.
0: Google is about to introduce uh, application programming interfaces called Open Social APIs. And uh, they've tied up or partnered with uh, social networking sites like LinkedIn, Orkut, Hi-Fi, etc. And uh, that gives them a a database or access to 100 million users vis-a-vis 50 million users of Facebook. So then again, are we coming on to the greater war between Google and Microsoft here?
1: Oh, you turned it I thought you were going to say Google versus Facebook.
0: Both, both. Google versus Facebook as well as...
1: But you know, if if that was a Freudian flip on your part, then it was a very intelligent one because, you know, Facebook and Microsoft now do have an alliance. So the war between Google and Microsoft slash Facebook, I think there is a war, but it's going to be in the advertising networks. Please understand, Microsoft is trying to compete with Google in the advertising network that they've built. It's called Ad Center. And they're so far behind that that's why they wanted Facebook. And there will be these two competing, I think, advertising networks: one centered around Google, one centered around Microsoft, and now Facebook. But you began your question with this open social, right? And I think that is the first step in a pretty long, you know, in a roadmap towards the vision that I talked about a few minutes ago, where social networking. Features will be everywhere, but not in a specific site. And the 100 million users, yeah, that's the users of the partners in the announcement today, this evening. But people are already joining up, for instance, Six Apart, which makes movable type, live journal, yes. type tab. Dave just joined it, I heard. Everyone's going to join this. And people like Mark and are in the alliance. So it is certainly the case that that is the vision of to make social networking as open as the World Wide Web is today. And that's why a lot of the protocols that are now bundled together in on the brand name Open Social are really just web protocols like HTML and so forth. So the idea is that whereas Facebook allows people to write little applications called widgets or gadgets or whatever for Facebook, mm-hmm. it requires you to write, write a proprietary language, Facebook markup language and other things, proprietary protocols, and, so that the widget you write only works on Facebook. It, it, if you read people like Clay Christensen who wrote The Innovator Dilemma, all technologies, when they start, before they're really very good, start as proprietary because you need to put the, the pieces together just so that it works. Mm-hmm. And Facebook was the first one to do this, so it hats off to them. Like, congratulations to Facebook for doing that. However, once the... Technologies sort of get adapted widely, then there's usually at some point you know an evolution towards open standards. Right, and that's what what we're seeing now. Now, I think you could say another thing is just as you know AOL. I keep I keep drawing that parallel to AOL because I think it's a fun one, you know, for mm-hmm. people who remember. But AOL <laughs> was proprietary, and of course, if you're a proprietary service of something that people want, then you're making big bucks. You're a hot company. And Facebook would, of course, like to be the proprietary platform provider, a bit as Windows once was, of social networking. However, we don't really need a proprietary platform anymore. Well, now, with very little extra effort, you could turn that into a widget, mm-hmm. and that widget can now be on any social network. Right. And so, essentially, we, again, it's what, what I've been saying before, is where social networking becomes a feature rather than a product. So anybody can now produce a, a little widget, Mm -hmm. That runs on any social network in the world, and people would probably discover it because you're in their address book or in their social graph. For a while, we're going to have a situation where people write a widget once for Facebook, and then again for everyone else. I think in future, they'll just write it once for everybody. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is we will find out if people like Facebook, Microsoft, and also Google figure out a way to monetize social networks. And if that happens, then there's going to be a huge new industry and they can all do well. And if that doesn't happen, then they won't do so well. And then I think all these social networking things will just become features in your other online products the way that, let's say, calendars and address books and email are features at Yahoo, at Google, at AOL, at at MSM.
0: Well, then, Andres, there might be just one man who's seeing all of this and must be smoking at everything. And that man must be Rupert Murdoch, who had bought MySpace during a time when all of this was not there. So I think he must have had some kind of a vision to have bought MySpace at half a billion dollars only because its valuation today could be as big or a little bigger than Facebook.
1: It was really cute. Mar- Rupert Murdoch and Krista Wolf, the MySpace co-founder, They were here in San Francisco two weeks ago at a conference, the Web 2.0 conference, and they were on stage uh, at the dinner of the first day, and so I was there. And they were asking him, you know, because everyone's assuming that he's um, pissed off because Facebook's getting all the attention, and my space is not at the moment. And they were asking him about this incredible valuation that was about to happen for Facebook. And Rupert Murdoch said, well, what it really tells you is that News Corp is undervalued, uh, and so the whole audit audience of you know <laughs> several thousands and so it was laughing because it's true, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, at the moment, MySpace doesn't seem to have figured out where things are going, but I think they will figure it out. And it was still very smart of Rupert Murdoch to buy it when he bought it, and um, as a call option at that time. And I think that that is now a call. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that has paid off for him. And then he's going to be right. News Corporation, which owns MySpace, is probably undervalued. If if Facebook is valued properly, then News Corp must be undervalued. And if Facebook has a silly valuation that makes no sense, Mm -hmm. then News Corp is probably more appropriately valued. But it's either or. So there can't be any bad news for for Rupert Murdoch, really. And and that's what you were saying, and I think you're (laughs) right. I think he's done pretty well. That's right. All right,
0: Andreas, let's just hope that this is, uh, like you said, it's a bubble, but let's hope that it doesn't burst the way it did in
1: 1999. Well, I can tell you that it won't burst Uh the way it did in in 2001 for a simple reason. The reason the bubble was so painful last time here in America was that very small investors like grandmothers and taxi drivers started investing in in dot-com stocks, and Uh they suddenly lost a lot of their savings. And this time, that's not happening. Right? I mean, it's not individual companies having IPOs and then taxi drivers and bus drivers investing in them. It's really individual companies building a product that the big companies then buy, like Google, turn into a feature. But the big companies have really good profit revenues, and they're not going to sort of implode the way they did last time. So it's actually more of a private equity bubble rather right. than a public mainstream investor bubble. So mm-hmm. it's a bubble, but it's not going to be painful. So there's no need to worry about it.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good to know. And, uh, well, Andres, before we leave, can you please update us about your book proposal? Has it uh, already been done uh, to your agent, the book that you're on?
1: Oh, thanks for asking. So, um, I'm going back and forth with the agent, writing several drafts. It's Uh a lot of fun. And it's it's a pretty huge proposal right now. And I think within a week or two weeks, we're going to send it to the uh, publishers and then start selling it. So, after Thanksgiving in America then there's no, not much selling then. and so either just before Thanksgiving or again in January, I'm hoping that there'll be some sort of deal. and I'm sure we'll talk again around that time and then I can update you. So what's the working title of the book or what is the title with which you've, you're starting the book with? The title is the Hannibal Curse: How Successful People Fail and Failures Turn into Success. Uh, good luck Andreas, good luck. I'm waiting for that book thank uh, you, Abby, thank you. Thanks a lot.